In medieval times in England, uh, there was a rightful king who was gone on a crusade. And there was an evil man who began to charge and oppress the people with high taxes. And if they couldn't pay, he would throw them in jail. His name was Prince John, the evil Prince John. And as the poor were starving and in great need and in jail, a, another guy steps up out of Sherwood Forest named who? Oh, you know the story. Actually, many people love the story of Robin Hood, and I found this week there were actually various stories within this, but the most loved one is that Robin Hood comes from Sherwood, and he is the one who robs from the rich and gives to the poor so that they could be cared for and not starving, while his loyalty was to King Richard I, who was gone away, and they believed that he would one day return, that King Richard I would one day come back and make things right. And as I looked at Zechariah, we too, like the citizens of Nottingham, are waiting uh, for the rightful uh, King, the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is the one who returns victorious, who's already won and will one day put down the enemy and make all things new. This is what we see in the book of Zechariah. And I would say to you this morning that if you are here and you are without hope in life or you feel like hope is all gone, you need to read Zechariah. Now know that if you read Zechariah, there is some, uh, a list of different visions that God gives Zechariah and they are mystical and confusing and hard to maybe understand. But I would point you to what we will look at today is this. The scriptural truth from Zechariah is this. Don't give up or be discouraged, for the king is coming again. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 14, and we will read verses 1 through 9, and then we will look at the book as a whole. It says in verse 1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azale. And you shall flee as, far as, flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah." Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Listen to verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. The word of God. 
Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to your words, your book, the words you gave your prophet Zechariah for the people of Israel then and the people of God now. We pray and ask that you would give us a greater understanding of the King of glory. Father, would you sustain us by your Spirit and fill us up today that we would be able to walk in righteousness and holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for ours. We thank you for going to the cross, being obedient to the Father, and we praise you and give you glory because you have been raised from death to life. And you rule and you reign now. Jesus, we pray, come soon. And we await to see you in all of your glory. We ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at Zechariah, uh, Zechariah's name means remembered by God. And it comes at a perfect time for God's people who had come back from Babylon in captivity and about 50,000 of them approximately were in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple. If you had the opportunity this week, uh, some of you may have read what I suggested last week, to read the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Haggai, which we studied last week, and Zechariah, and you will then understand the timeline, the history, uh, what Haggai said to the nation by the word of God, what Zechariah speaks to the nation of Israel. They had begun to rebuild the temple by rebuilding the temple foundation and after about a four-year period of that work, they just stopped. And as Haggai called them to account last week and said, Hey, uh, consider your ways. He said, Why are you in the last 16 years spending 16 years building your homes, paneling the inside that it would look like Solomon's temple, putting all of your money into bags with holes, wondering where it all went and why you are not blessed? And he called them to account and said, God said to do this work and you have rejected that work. And if you read through the rest of Haggai chapter 2 last week, and if you read Zechariah and you read Ezra, you would understand there was a point of discouragement of the people living in the land. They're living in this in-between time. They know that God has made them these wonderful, great promises. They knew the promises of the Messiah to come, and yet they had not seen the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. There were this in-between period, just like today, we know the promises of God. We know the promises for God's people of joy, but yet we don't have complete joy, do we? Sometimes we have bits and pieces of joy. We know the promises for God's people, the Holy Spirit in us, that we have peace. And it is true that we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we battle with not feeling peace at times in this world. We know from God's word that the believer is completely forgiven, past, present, and future, by the blood that's been shed by Jesus Christ. Yet at times and daily, we still battle with sinfulness. And so for as the people of Israel in the time of Zechariah, we too can identify with them in this middle between time, because we are awaiting the return of the Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as they were waiting for the first advent, the first showing, and the first coming of Christ. 
And we must know that for the people then and for us now, that God's word provides us hope. That God's words are true. He never changes. And what he promises will be fulfilled. And so as we look at Zechariah, we know that this book brings us much hope. If you would, if you would think, that what is the theme of Zechariah? The theme is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the theme of Zechariah, just as it is with every single chapter and book in the Bible. And clearly we see through Zechariah, and we could go through these prophecies, and, and as people will look at the end times and look at the fulfillments of these things, we could do that and try to look at all these different visions. But today, because the theme is Jesus Christ, we need to see what Zechariah, God who gave him the word, says about the King Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at five different descriptions of the King here in Zechariah. Turn first to Zechariah chapter 9. And the first point is that the king spoken of in Zechariah brings salvation. The king brings salvation. About 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, as we just celebrated the first advent during Christmas time, Zechariah prophesies 700 years before of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Specifically, that the king to come, the Messiah, would bring salvation to his people. And this king would be praised. He would be proclaimed as king. And this is a description in Zechariah of a future event 700 years in the future. Just as if you read 1 Kings chapter 1, King David was in his last days, his last hours, and so he put forth his son Solomon on his mule to ride through Jerusalem to have the announcement that Solomon would be king. You have a similar prophecy here in Zechariah chapter 9. Look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You might think, well, that sounds familiar. I might have read that somewhere else before. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. As you turn to Matthew chapter 21, we understand that this king who comes riding on a donkey is righteous, as Zechariah says, that he has or he brings with him salvation for his people. Zechariah here says that he is humble and he's mounted on a donkey on a colt. Turn to Matthew chapter 21, one of a few different texts in the Gospels of what we call the triumphal entry. You ever heard of this text before? You know what Palm Sunday points to? This text. It says this in Matthew chapter 21, seven, approximately 700 years after Zechariah spoke the word of the Lord and said this would happen. We see this in verse 7 of Matthew 21. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he, speaking of Jesus, sat on them. <clears throat> Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! 
Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You cannot make these things up, church. Again, a 700-year period goes by before the word of God through Zechariah says the king will come into Jerusalem riding a donkey and he will bring with him salvation. If you read, I think it's the count of John of the triumphal entry. All the Pharisees are stirred up. Like, what is this? And they say the whole world has gone after him. You see, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was hailed as a king, just like the practice of Israel, the king riding a donkey into Jerusalem, and the palm branches being waved, and the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the treatment that Jesus received that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, and we read here in Matthew. But Jesus is that king that Zacharias says, if you go back to chapter 9, that he brings or has salvation. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus said this of himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said that he is the one who brings salvation. He is the one, the only one, that anyone can be saved. And therefore, Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem and he removed the sins of his people on a single day. Zechariah prophesied to this. Look at chapter 3 of Zechariah. He says this of this king who brings salvation in Zechariah chapter 3. The very end of the sentence it says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single what? If you're not there, in a single day. And you think, how would all the sins of mankind, how would all the sins of God's people be removed in a day? Because think of one year of your life. Think of just one month of your life. Of the sinfulness in your life. All the sins you committed in one month. Or maybe one day. Or one year. Or multiple years. Imagine just your sins being taken away in a single day. If you even had the possibility of having a list of all your sins against God. You would be blown away. And not only blown away by those sins, but to think they can be removed in a day? Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 connects with chapter 3 verse 9. And it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced. That's interesting. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for, over a firstborn. What does that mean? As they look on me, on whom they have pierced. What's that talking about? Who is that speaking of? Jesus the king who brings salvation. From on that day when Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for six hours on Calvary, Jesus hung on the cross that he was nailed to. And as he hung on the cross, the darkness came over the land and God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son for the sins of his people. Isaiah 53 
would be a benefit for you to read this week as the Messiah would be pierced for the transgressions, crushed for the iniquities of his people. And Jesus, the king, could only do this because, as Zacharias said in chapter 9, that he is righteous. And therefore, being nailed to the cross, he is the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins. And his blood that was shed could not only cover but remove all of your sins. Again, think of all the sins you've forgot about that you did. All of the sins that you've committed through faith in Jesus Christ, his blood shed removes completely and you are forgiven of those sins. 1 Corinthians tells us that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose again according to scriptures. This is the king who brings salvation. Now turn with me to Zechariah chapter 6. The second description, the second point is that this king is a priest. The king that's prophesied in Zechariah is not only to come and bring salvation, but he is also a priest. A king who sits on the throne who is also a priest. Again, he spoke of a future reality. When Zechariah prophesied and he spoke what God gave him. And when you read in chapter 6, he says, Make a crown of silver and gold and put it on Joshua, the son of the high priest, as a symbol of this king priest to come. Look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the counsel of his peace shall be between them both. And so, as Zechariah tells them, make this crown, put it on Joshua as a sign of a reality to come, he says and mentions this word, the branch. And you say, well, what is this branch? Why is it capitalized in the text? What does this mean? Well, you need to go and read Jeremiah 33. Because Jeremiah 33 speaks of this branch being the coming king. One who is of the line of David and he's the righteous Messiah. People, uh, I can't help you understand unless you just read and see these things. God's word is the best commentary on itself. And the more you read God's word, the more the Holy Spirit revealed to you in this text, like, oh, wait, I read that somewhere. The good shepherd. Oh, wait, that's in John chapter 10. Wait, Zechariah speaking of this king. Wait, that's over here. And I cannot explain to you or tell you the joy that floods my heart when I see these things. And I pray it's the same for you. Because you know when you read and you see these things confirmed and you see the prophecies laid out and Jesus fulfilling them, you are filled with joy. The joy of the Lord because his word is true. It's perfect and it never changes. Therefore, this morning, you should take great hope in God's word because in Zechariah it says the king's going to return. Our hope is in the king of heaven returning one day for us, his people. Here, though, we look at this king not only brings salvation, but the king is a priest here in this second point. 
And Jeremiah 33 would be beneficial for you to read of this branch describing this king who is also a priest. In verse 13, it says there, as I just read to you, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. One of the things we read in Scripture regarding Jesus Christ is his different offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. The words that we have, which is God's Word, point us to Jesus Christ and His office as prophet. We have everything, as Peter says, for life and godliness. There is no more prophecies to come. We have all of God's prophecy in His Word. There is new, no new revelation to be added, and that's clear from Scripture. And we can praise the Lord in that, that we have contained in the Bible all of his words for us. But a second office of Christ is him being king, what we're focusing on today. And a third being that Christ is also a priest or our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 7 and chapter 8 help us understand this third office of Christ being a priest. Hebrews chapter 7 it says this in verse 25 through 27. Consequently, he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You should highlight that, circle that, mark that, write it on a card, and put that uh, somewhere you can see it every day if you are a follower of Christ. It says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now look down to chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Church, you need not only a king. You need not only a prophet to speak the word of God, but you need a great high priest. If you read the Old Testament and the sacrificial uh, 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 ordinances and the things that were done in the temple, the high priest would intercede for the people. Once a year, he would take the blood of a lamb into the Holy of Holies and it would be placed upon this spot in the Holy of Holies and sprinkled there so that when God would see on the ark this blood, that the sins would be passed over for a year. We have a great high priest who does not do that. He does not enter into the Holy of Holies once a year and have to do it again. Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ, the King who brings salvation, the King who is a priest, makes intercession for you. And once and for all, he died as the sacrifice, shed his blood, and he has entered into the holy, holy of holies, into heaven where he makes intercession for you now. Church, you need a great high priest who will minister to you and for you. You need a great minister. And that great minister is 
Jesus Christ. You should take joy when we read that verse 25 of chapter 7 to have a great high priest who is interceding for me right now. To think about the fact that Jesus Christ is praying on behalf of his people right now should give you great joy and comfort and peace. Because we know this, just as the priests would also offer up incense, this sweet-smelling incense in the temple, and it would rise to heaven as a sign of the prayers going before God, that these prayers that we lift up, Jesus Christ prays on behalf of us. The Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. And you want Jesus to pray for you because Jesus is God. His prayers are always perfect according to God's will, and Jesus' prayers are always, always, always answered. So you should have joy. Wait, Jesus is praying for me now? Praise the Lord. Jesus, pray for me more. Because he knows what exactly to pray for. And his prayers are always answered. And the second way that Jesus Christ and his office of priest functions is in the fact that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, And because he did that, his ministry is the sending of the Holy Spirit into the lives of his people. The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God, you must know that Christ's ministry is the Holy Spirit, the great comforter being sent to you after being justified in Christ, through Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and fills you and strengthens you and leads you to walk in holiness and righteousness in this dark world bringing you peace and joy in the moment when you think all hope is gone. You need not only a king who brings salvation, but you need a king to be your great high priest. Turn to Zechariah chapter 13. A third description we look at is that this king is a shepherd. This king that Zechariah speaks of to come is a shepherd. And as you turn back to Zechariah in chapter 13, This great king who brings salvation, who ministers to his people, is a good, good shepherd. He is unlike the wicked, evil shepherds of Ezekiel chapter 34, in which God called out those shepherds of Israel and said they were abusing the people, they were abusing the flock, they were scattering the flock, they were doing horrible things for their own glory. And here we have the description of the good shepherd. The good shepherd king who would care for his people. Look at verse 7 of chapter 13. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Again, if you have read much of Scripture, you might go, Wait, this sounds familiar. I think I've read this in some place. Well, in a moment, we'll read in Matthew chapter 26, if you want to turn there. Again, 700 years approximately before the birth of Christ, these things are stated by God through the prophet Zechariah. And as you turn to Matthew 26, I would point out this in Zechariah 13, when it says that there's a sword against my shepherd. It's like, what does this mean? If this is the Lord speaking, and it's his sword going against, it says, my shepherd, his shepherd, what does this mean? And again, it points us back to Isaiah chapter 53 and the Lord's judgment upon his son 
at the cross. And so we ask this question, is this description of the shepherd here and being a good shepherd, if you continue on reading and seeing a difference between the evil and the wicked shepherds and the good shepherd Jesus, is this king is a good shepherd, which we read in John chapter what? Anyone know? Where can you find Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd? I say it almost every Sunday, so memorize it. John chapter 10, read this week, the good shepherd. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who before the foundations of the world, he calls his sheep by name. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says that the names of his people are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. The shepherd, Jesus says of himself, is the one who leads his sheep. He knows not only their name, but they know his voice and they follow. Isn't it a sweet thing to hear the voice of God when we read his word and follow him? This is the description of the good shepherd of John chapter 10. Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep. At the cross, he's given his life for his people. And the good shepherd who gives his sheep also, in John 10, says he gives eternal life. And he says, he will never lose any of his sheep. Satan can't steal them from the hand of the Father. And therefore, we have a good, good shepherd king who not only cares for us, who feeds us and leads us, but gives us eternal salvation and never loses us. What a good shepherd we have. Zechariah said, strike the sheep and the sheep will be scattered. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, after they had taken bread and cup together and they go out into the the Mount of Olives, into the Garden of Gethsemane, he was betrayed and he was arrested. And you see Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 fulfilled. Look at Matthew chapter 26. It says this in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus Christ knows the word of God. In his humanity, he knew the scriptures. And so he quotes of himself and says to the disciples, In just a short while, here is what's going to happen. And the word of God will be fulfilled. In verse 38 through 39, Then he said to them, Here at the Garden of Gethsemane, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I am so thankful that we have that prayer recorded. Because Jesus, the Son, was obedient to the Father, so that by faith, we could be set free and saved through Jesus Christ. In verse 56 of Matthew 26, it says, after the soldiers came with Judas and they arrested Jesus, it says, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets, oh, who might that be? Zechariah might be what? What's it say? That the prophets might be what? fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Church, if you speak with anyone in this world who questions Jesus Christ and is he really the Messiah, one of the things that 
continually over the years with Scripture that continues to show the power of God is showing people what the prophets said of the Messiah to come and showing them the life of Christ and seeing how He fulfilled all of these prophecies. It's not possible for mankind to even come up with the stories, to even plan these things, to have actual historical accounts by non-Christian historians that say, yes, that took place, and those people did say those things, and we do have all of these things throughout Scripture for all of these years. It is a wonderful, glorious thing to have the Word of God that we can read, and the Holy Spirit can help us believe, and we can be saved by Jesus Christ. And so we have this king that Zacharias says brings salvation, that he is a priest, that he is a shepherd. And now turn to chapter 14, verse 9, which we read for the last two points and descriptions of Christ. This shepherd king, which Zacharias speaks of, loves his people. He loves his sheep greatly. And rightly, he is called Lord. This king is Lord in chapter 14, verse 9. It says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. The word Lord there, your text probably has that all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In the Old Testament, this word Jehovah, it means the existing one. It is the proper name of the one true God. The same name that we were reading at the beginning of this service in Psalm 24. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, Jehovah, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Psalm 24, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. You must understand, church, that when it speaks of the Lord in the Old Testament and here speaking of the Messiah to come, it is saying that the Lord is God. So when you go and read in the New Testament, the word Lord used to describe Jesus, there's a Greek word in the New Testament, and it's the word kurios, or kurios, and it means this title given to God the Messiah. And Lord in the New Testament, speaking of Jesus, not only carries this title of God, but the one who is absolutely sovereign. Are there many who are absolutely sovereign, church? I saw some head shaking. I heard a mumble. Are there many who are absolutely sovereign? How many are absolutely sovereign in the universe? One person. Who is that? <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Zechariah tells us. And so think about this. Early Christians. People who came to Christ... After Christ ascended to heaven, as the gospel began to be declared by the apostles, and the gospel is declared around the globe, as people come to Jesus Christ through faith in him alone, there were many who died brutally, who were martyred, because they would not dare call Caesar Curios, Lord. Caesar demanded that he be called Lord, the one with absolute sovereignty. He declared that the people would say that he is God and many Christians lost their life brutally and died because they said, I will not call Caesar Lord. 
There is only one Lord and one God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I've always wondered if that type of persecution would come again to this world here in the United States of America. I've always wondered as I read especially the prophets and the things that are to come before the great day of the Lord, will you or I ever face a moment when someone says to call someone else Lord? Will we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stand for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and say, I will not call that person or that person Lord. I only have one Lord and one God, Jesus Christ. And if I die for that, then I die for that because I know my hope and glory is in Jesus. Church, you should pray for the believers in this world who today in other countries are dying because they're asked to deny Jesus as Lord. This last week, I had the great blessing and privilege to gather with other pastors from our district and for almost three days pray for hours. And I thought, wow, what are we going to do for all these hours? Haven't we prayed for everything? Man, my horrible thoughts on that. There was, we never ran out. We prayed for you. We prayed for our missionaries. We prayed for our churches. We prayed for the lost in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. We prayed for so many things to the point where you get tired almost, this exhausted from praying. Church, please join me and all the elders and the leaders of this church. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ now. Pray for those who are facing persecution and will die today or this week because they will not back down from calling Jesus Lord. Pray for them. Plead for them. If you don't even know what to say, it's okay, as I learned this week, to have that awkward silence. Some of you know what I mean. When we gather corporately, we say, let's pray. And it's just silent. And people are like, is anyone going to say anything? It's okay to be quiet and to just lift our hearts to the Lord because he knows our minds, he knows our thoughts, he knows what you're praying for. And it is also great benefit for the body of Christ to hear you pray. And you might say, well, I don't know what to pray. Then pray scripture. Just as the Apostle Paul said, pray for me as I go and declare the gospel. Pray for strength, pray for scripture. Pray a simple prayer, Lord, bless the believers with strength so that they would declare the gospel. Amen. Do not get into something that you've seen on TV, you've read in a book, or been around somebody like, I don't pray like those people. I don't know how to say those things. Simply pray the word of God and you'll be praying according to his will. And God answers the prayers according to his will. Well, if you come back to here, the king is Lord. <clears throat> this title given to the Messiah. We must understand that not only people have died for calling Jesus Lord, but you can only be saved, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, by confessing Jesus as Lord. It says in Romans 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
We're told repeatedly when we read the book of Acts and other places, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ. And here in Romans 10, it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is King of glory, that he is the Lord God Almighty. And praise the Lord if you are led by the Holy Spirit to do that while you live and walk this earth. Because there is a day coming, which we read in Zechariah 14, there is a day coming, the, as we've been reading in all these minor prophets, the day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord, the awful day of the Lord, the awesome day of the Lord, as we've read all of these prophets, and they speak of that day when people will stand before the Lord and be judged. And on that day, it will be too late for many. Because everyone, at some point, will confess Jesus as Lord. But for many, not for salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Stay there at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. And the last point, the last description that we look at this morning of this king is not only that he is the king who brings salvation, he is not only the king who is our great high priest, he is not only the king who is our good shepherd, that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, but we are reminded that this king has promised to return. This king will return, as Zechariah 14, 9 says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth on that day. Circle that, highlight that, underline that. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Now let me remind you of something in case you forgot. The word of God tells us that Jesus Christ is not only king, but he's king now. Jesus Christ is not going to rule in the future. He rules eternally, meaning Jesus Christ reigns now. We are not waiting for Jesus to reign. We are under his reign and rule now. Know that he is sovereign now. Therefore, all the things that you see happening in all of history, according to his providence, it's under his rule now. We are not waiting for Jesus to be crowned. He is crowned because if you read Revelation, he comes back on a white horse already crowned. He already is seated on the throne. So church, if you are tired and weary of the things of this world and the news of this day and the sin that is rampant in this world, do not forget that Jesus reigns now as we sit here and read his word. And you might say, well, why all this stuff? Scripture tells us why. That Jesus Christ is bringing about the will of God. That the things that even the evil wicked do, that we read throughout the Old Testament, that God puts in the mind of the wicked leaders and says, go and do these things. Just as we saw with the birth of Christ and, 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 the, and Caesar was told to bring about this census at that time. God controls those minds of all mankind. He knows our thoughts. He puts in our thoughts what to do. He rules and reigns now. 
So if you are discouraged, if you are troubled, if you are saying, woe is me, don't forget Jesus rules now. That is your hope for today. That's the hope you need for tomorrow. It's the hope you need for every moment until you see Christ coming in the clouds. Briefly, two last passages. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. Jesus Christ died on the cross. On the third day, he rose again. Many of his disciples saw him. Paul tells us that at one time, 500 were gathered together and saw him. They ate with him. They heard him teach. And here is the point at which Jesus Christ leaves earth and goes to heaven. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church, don't forget Haggai last week. Consider your ways. Every moment counts. This moment right now counts in life, and your call is to be obedient, not to rebuild the temple like the people then, but to go and to declare the gospel of Jesus. And it says this in verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Isn't that exciting? I mean, I'm sure they're amazed. They've already seen miracles of Christ. And then now they're talking to Christ after they saw him crucified and dead. And then now they're looking and they're seeing Jesus ascend into the heavens and being sent into the clouds and he disappears and they're just standing there. Was he coming back? Jesus, where are, you at? where are you at? And two men in white robes, two angels said, what are you doing? He's already told you what to do. Go into the city. Know this, as you just saw him, he's going to return. And you might think, wait, I've read that somewhere else in Scripture. Turn to the book of Revelation. It's Revelation. There's no S on the end. I used to say Revelations for years until someone corrected me and said, no, there's only one Revelation, which is of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 19, this is what was given to John, the vision of the return of the king who ascended in the clouds. And here is a picture of his return to come in verse 11 through 16. Then... I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Yes. And let us not forget, 
Not only did Jesus ascend to heaven victorious, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are victorious in Christ because he's already overcome. And so he's returning in this great uh, moment in which he puts down the enemies, which he has already defeated forever. Satan and the demons and all who have rejected Christ will be cast into hell for all eternity, and the wrath of God will be upon them forever. As Paul tells us in his other writings, at the last trumpet, Christ is returning, and his people will be glorified. Your soul, which all the sin that has been taken away will be made holy, and your body that is raised from the grave will be perfect conjoined together and we will be with the Lord forever and that is for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and so if you are a Christian don't give up don't be discouraged for the king is coming again and if you are not a follower of Christ today is the day of salvation you have heard the gospel preached to you And it is your responsibility to respond. And I pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the gospel and that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that you are saved and that you will join in that day where we are gathered around the throne uh, singing and blessing the name of God. Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Father, we pray. We say, come Lord Jesus. We say amen to what we read. These wonderful prophecies that have been fulfilled and that will be fulfilled. And Father, this morning, some of us are down. We are depressed. We are struggling with all the rampant evil and wickedness in this world. We have trouble in our life because of whatever circumstances and we are getting our eyes off of you. Would you put back into us today and remind us today of the hope that we have in you that you are returning. May we be reminded from Zechariah that you are not only our king, but you are our good shepherd who cares for us today. And you are the one who is our high priest. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, fill us up. We ask that you would continue to continue to work in us and make us more and more like Christ. Father, help us to be about your work. Help us to consider our ways and know that today, this moment counts. Father, we cannot wait to that day that we see you face to face. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.